listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life Pullman Campus, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. We've been going through this invisible series, and uh, if you haven't caught it yet, the heart behind this is um, we believe in an invisible God, right? We don't see him. Uh, maybe some of you do, and that's cool. Um, but most of us, we don't see God. Uh, and so we've been, how do we have faith in that? And that's exactly what faith is. And that's what Adam kicked off the series telling us about what faith is, that it's uh, having, being sure of what you hope for and, and being convinced of what you don't see. Uh, and it's exactly that that we have to start uh, in Christianity. If we're going to have uh, we're going to have a relationship with God. We're going to have to understand that faith is the first step in that process because we're not going to get the opportunity to see him face to face. So we're going to have to take a step of faith. And just about everything starts there. So uh, if, if you're wanting to know like future steps, understand that that's the first step you have to take. There's no amount of con- convincing that we can do. There's no amount of evidence that we can produce that it will ever be fully like out there for you to do it without having to take a step of faith. That, that will always be the case. You're going to have to do that. Um, and Adam has shared about how we, our relationship with each other is connected uh, with our relationship with God. And so if we're going to have a good relationship with God, we're also going to have to have a good relationship with each other. And that is necessary. And then Alex last week uh, talked with us about how to find God. Where, where do we find God? And what his point was, uh, is that God's right there looking for you. You just got to turn around, right? Is where are you right now? Uh, that's, that's the real question that he was uh, posing to us. So today we're going to dive into, does God actually love us? Uh, and I'm going to start with two assumptions. One, uh, and, and understand that if these don't apply to you, this, this sermon will ha- still have meaning in your life. But I'm going to go off two assumptions right now because it'll be most impactful for the, the two, if you qualify for these two things. One, uh, if you have already taken that step of faith and believe in Jesus, uh, I'm going to make that assumption that everyone in here is doing that. Again, if you haven't done that, don't worry. That's okay. You'll still get something out of this. Um, and step two uh, that your goal is to become a disciple-making disciple. That's our goal here at Real Life. Uh, and I think that if you believe in Jesus, it should be your goal, uh, because that's the last thing he left for us to do, was to become disciple-making disciples. And what I mean by that is that we not only follow Jesus, but we help people follow Jesus. And so those are the two things that I, I'm going to go ahead and assume those are true in your life, that you believe in Jesus and that you want to follow him and help other people follow him. Let's pray, and then we'll dive into it. Heavenly Father, um, thank you for the opportunity that you've given me. Uh, I pray, Lord, that right now I can share what's on my heart. You know that I've been um, itching to share this message, and I pray that uh, you can help me uh, just have the words to do it and and speak through uh, this time. We give it over to you. It's yours, not ours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, um, so... Today I want to talk about a man named Paul. Most of you guys know him. Uh, if you were here for our Forever Change series, we talked a lot about Paul uh, one Sunday and uh, just his life and how he was changed by Jesus. Uh, and we're going to dive into uh, some of his words this morning. Um, but before, uh, before I, I, I say that, I just want you guys to know, Paul, in my estimation, is one of the best examples of a disciple-making disciple, of a man that follows Jesus and is heaven-bent on making sure other people follow him too. Uh, and so that's, that's something that Paul is doing. But what was his motivation and, um, 
what is the answer to our question here? And he writes uh, in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, he writes these words. For I am convinced, I being Paul, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So for some of you, oh, that's it, guys. We're, we're good. All right, God loves us. You know, we can walk out now. Uh, no, for some of you, that might be enough. That might just be like, all right, I'm convinced now because it says so in, in the Bible uh, that God loves me. Sweet. And Paul, his, his example is Jesus died for me. All right, so we're good. Uh, but I don't know about you guys, but for me, that wasn't enough. Uh, I needed to know more. I needed to know why, because I have a lot of evidence of why God shouldn't love me. And, and so I'm not entirely convinced that he does love me yet. So that's what we're going to be talking about today and how Paul came to this conviction that God loves him. Uh, so before we understand that, we have to understand a little bit about Paul. And most of you guys know uh, a lot of his story, that he was a Pharisee, right? He was raised being taught the Old Testament scriptures, uh, and he was being shown how to live a godly life and how to uh, avoid sin at all costs. And on top of that, uh, he was zealous about it, and he was trying to get rid of sin in all of Jerusalem and Israel. He was trying to get uh, the rest of his Jews to follow suit and not... Uh, be a part of this sin. And one of the most uh, egregious sins that he had to fight against was blasphemy. And he was fighting this uh, to the death uh, because there was this thing called Christianity. People were following this man named Jesus saying that he was God. And he said, no, 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 no. Only God is God. And so he's, he's a, a true bred Pharisee going out there into the world trying to root out this problem uh, of blasphemy that, that the Christians have been starting to, to share and, and are reaching some of the Jewish people, and he wasn't going to have that. So Paul is on a mission. He's on a mission to get rid of sin and, and this blasphemy, and on his way to Damascus, where he was going to root out some more, where he's going to find some more Christians and, and either imprison them, beat them, or ultimately kill them if they don't renounce their faith, um, he's confronted by the resurrected Jesus. Uh, and in that, um, Jesus calls him out and says, what are you doing, dude? That's the Corbin translation. Um, but like, hey man, like I know you want to serve me, but this is not how you do it. Uh, and so Paul is confronted with the resurrected Jesus. And, and you have to understand, Paul's, Paul's heart was to serve God. Like he, he loved God. That's not the problem. The problem was he was, he was misaligned uh, on how to do that. Uh, he, he thought that the best way was to root out all this sin and this blasphemy because he thought this Jesus wasn't, wasn't real, wasn't the true Messiah. And so he was fighting against it, but Jesus knew that, hey, if this guy just sees me and just knows that, hey, I, I'm, I'm what I'm talking about, then, then maybe he'll be on my side. And so that's exactly what happens. Jesus confronts him uh, and Paul is changed. And what has changed in Paul's life, uh, but mainly just this one thing that he knows that Jesus is alive and Jesus was the Messiah. And so he's, he's confronted with these two things and that's what changes in, in Paul's life. But he doesn't become this super missionary right off the bat. He doesn't write most of the New Testament right off the bat. That's not something that just immediately happens. In fact, in Galatians chapter uh, one and two, he talks about that it takes about 17 years for him to go from his conversion where Jesus confronted him to his first missionary journey. And so the, I, I just wanted to, alleviate some of these thoughts that sometimes we, we get this idea that, oh, it's got to be like that, all right? We got 
We got to turn to Jesus and all of a sudden we become Paul. No, it doesn't happen that quickly. It didn't even happen that quickly for Paul. It took 17 years. And that's on top of his, his Old Testament training. So he's already been, he's been rooted in the scriptures, founded in that. And then Jesus confronts him. And then it takes him another 17 years to learn all about Jesus and who he is before he goes on his first missionary journey. Uh, but then uh, he goes on these missionary journeys. He starts preaching and teaching the word of God, uh, particularly the message of Jesus, the gospel message. Uh, and he's, he's helping people understand what that means. Uh, and he's starting churches. He's uh, discipling people, raising them up and sending them off to lead those churches. Uh, and he'd bounce around from place to place and every once in a while. And I understand, people don't know how to do this yet. Like this is a new thing. They're not entirely sure how this whole Christianity thing works. Uh, so Paul is having to like, reach out to them every once in a while, something would be going wrong and he'd hear tell of it. Someone would come and, and tell on them and be like, hey, Paul, they're not doing the things right anymore. And so Paul would write them letters and that's how we get a lot of the New Testament scriptures is because of what Paul was writing to people. Uh, and one of these letters, the letter to the Romans was actually unique in the fact that he wasn't addressing a specific issue. He's not addressing this issue uh, that someone has because he's never been to the church in Rome. In fact, he writes that he wants to go there. That is it's his dream to go there, but he hasn't yet uh, gone there. And so he doesn't know any specific issues. So he's not addressing those things. Instead, he's just giving them an overarching theology that he has learned. Uh, and he wants them just to understand what he understands. And so uh, that's what his uh, letter to the Roman church is, is all about. Um, and he shares his theology and a little bit about himself. And you can see Paul's life coming through these texts. And, in, 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 I wanted to point out a couple of verses. First, you might know this one. A lot of people know it. Uh, and it's Romans 3.23, which says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I think this represents Paul's pharisaical upbringing, that he knows one thing is true, that sin's everywhere. He saw it because he knows the scriptures and he knows what sin is and he's seen it all around and he, he was determined to get rid of it and he fought against it his whole life. So he knows what sin is and he sees that it's affecting everybody. And that's what he shares to the Roman church is first and foremost, hey, we're all guilty. We're all facing the same power of sin and we're all underneath it. We're, we're all a slave to it. Uh, and so this is his pharisaical upbringing shining through that, he, you know what, there is sin everywhere and I see it because I know what it is and, and I know that we're all guilty of it. But just like in his life, that's not where this verse ends or the next verse ends. Uh, 3.24, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You see, this is now showing his, his new mission, his new heart, what has happened. First, he sees all the sin and that's what he was focused on. And then he's confronted by the resurrected Jesus and, he's no, and he notices this, that now there's an answer to this sin problem, that there is a way out of the power of sin and it's that we are justified freely by the grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And I want to highlight a few of these words. I'm really focusing on teaching our, our youth students uh, what grace means. And, and I, if you know any students that go to our youth group, they should be able to tell you by now what grace is, I hope. <laughs> um, they, they seem to do a pretty good job with it. But it, it's, it's um, getting what you don't deserve. 
You don't deserve something and, that's, and, and yet you get it anyway. And that's what grace is. Uh, and in this case, he's talking about freely being justified. And it's important that we understand Paul's heart here. When he's sharing with the Roman church, he's not talking about being forgiven. It's not simply just being forgiven by God. He's saying we are justified justified, made righteous, which means that we are free from sin entirely. And so it's not so much that God is looking down on us uh, and, and looking at us and saying, you know what, I, I see all your faults and I'm just going to, I'm going to forget that. I'm going to forgive you. No, no, no. Instead, if we believe in Jesus, Paul says that we are justified by Jesus's sacrifice for us, which means that instead of looking down and seeing our sin and forgiving us, he's looking down and seeing his son that's what he sees in us. And we have his justification. Uh, and so that's Paul's heart and message that he's sharing uh, with the Roman church. And we see how his life has affected his words. Uh, and so for us to understand how Paul can come to the conviction that God loves him and that all of creation, nothing can impede that, nothing can stop that, not himself, not like height or depth, not anything not even sin itself can stop God from loving him. How did he come to this conviction? And I think it's important for us to understand um, Paul, if we're going to understand how he came to that conviction. So I want to share with some of the things that I think it's not about. Well, how, how Paul didn't come to this conclusion. And, and, and the reason why I wanted to do that is because I think a lot of us get uh, a misconception of how we should see God's love for us. Uh, first and foremost, Paul did not see God's love for him in his circumstances. His circumstances were awful. I, I put it in your notes, uh, 2 Corinthians. He has a, a long little list of things that he has gone through. Uh, and he's talking about how he's been whipped, beaten, imprisoned, uh, and how he's been shipwrecked three times. I'm like, dude, stop getting on a boat. Like, <laughs> clearly this is not working out for you. Um, so, Paul's gone through some really rough stuff in his life. And, and that's, that's not how he's seeing God's love for him. Like he's not looking at, oh man, I got beaten today. God loves me so much, you know? Like that's not how he's seeing it. Yet that's, I think, how we feel from time to time. Like, oh, if something good's happening in our life, God loves us. Something bad's happening in our life, God doesn't love us. And that's the connection that we have. Uh, and that's the connection that we assume. But that's not how Paul is convinced. Paul's convinced of God's love, not because of his circumstances. His circumstances were awful and he, he knew God loved him anyway. So what else? All right, well, maybe it was the change that happened inside of Paul. That Paul's like looking at himself and like, man, I am really good. I am awesome. I'm doing a lot of good stuff. Maybe that's how I know God loves me. Well, in Romans chapter seven, he talks about how I, I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do. It's a very confusing, tongue-twisting thing. Uh, but it, the essence of it is that I'm still struggling I'm still not doing everything that I want to do. And I'm still doing things that I don't want to do. So I'm still not completely changed. And so he's struggling with this. And so we know that not even in himself is he seeing the love of God. So what is it? Well, it's not his health. His eyesight was fading and, and uh, he talks about that. He talks about a thorn in his side, which could be metaphorical or an actual literal thorn was in his side. I don't know. Um, but it wasn't his health. Wasn't his looks. We're, we're led to believe that he was a pretty ugly dude. Um, that's how I believe God loves me sometimes is I look in the mirror. Um, all right. 
it wasn't uh, that he was, he, he was a lonely dude. Like he was faced with loneliness a lot, I imagine, because even though he was surrounded by people, he didn't have a family. So he wasn't like walking around with his wife and kids. So, you know, he didn't have that. But on top of that, like all the people that he became close with, all his disciples, he kept sending out away from him. So as soon as they were ready, he's like, all right, sweet. Now go to this church and start te- doing what I taught you to do. And so he's, he's not like looking around at his his like close group of friends and being like, oh yeah, God loves me because he kept losing them. Uh, so it's not that. Is it because of his purpose? Like he's feeling fulfilled and so he knows God loves him. Well, here's the deal. Later on in Romans, he complains about the fact that the one thing he wants to do more than anything is share the message with his Jewish brothers. He wants them to know about Jesus and he wants to convert them. And yet every time he goes to them, what do they do? They reject him. They beat him. All the times that he was in prison and beaten and, and stoned to death, yeah, that, that's because of the Jews. So he, he kept facing this thing where the, his burden, his passion in, in life was to reach his brothers and sisters, and yet they're the ones rejecting him. So he's forced to go to the Gentiles and preach to them. So not even his own purpose is being fulfilled in this moment. He's not even getting that satisfaction. So what? What is it that possibly Paul could be so bold and audacious in saying, I am convinced that God loves me? How is Paul able to do this? Well, first of all, it it starts again with that first step. He believes Jesus died for him and rose again. Those, those, that's the first step and most essential step. And unfortunately, Paul doesn't write down a detailed account uh, of exactly how he came to this conviction. But fortunately for us, uh, someone on this stage has also been convinced that God loves them. And I think that I can share with you a little bit about how I've become convinced. And I believe, and this is my bold statement for the day, that Paul uh, is also uh, convinced in the same manner. So I'm going to share with you guys a a story about uh, something that happened in my life. Before I do that, I think it's important that you understand my heart for ministry. Uh, I got into ministry 10 years ago. um, And and the reason why, I was raised in a a Christian home. So my dad's a pastor and it just became one of the things that you do. That that was part of it, that I was just kind of like ingrained in me to be in ministry. Um, but another part of it, and, and I wouldn't have ever gotten through ministry had it not been for this part, is that I had a motivation. And th- that motivation was that I had been loved. I'm not like Paul. My life's awesome. I have like a lot of good stuff and, and things are good. And that's not me bragging. That's just me, the situation that I was in. Uh, and I always knew that it was nothing that I did. I just happened to be in a great family. I happened to look really handsome. Like there are things that just <laughs> happened. But why is everyone laughing at those things? <laughs> but my life was good. And, and so I knew that, you know what? Not everyone has what I have. Not everyone has the family that I have. Not everyone has the friends that I have. Got to raise in the church that I was raised in. Got to know the message of Jesus from, from birth. Uh, so I, I wanted to share that. I wanted to give. If, if I could love somebody who didn't receive the love that I did, if I could love them just a little bit and help them have a little bit of the, the life that I had, then I was going to do that. Absolutely. So that, that was my motivation and heart in ministry and has been, uh, that I want to share what God has given me. Uh, and so that's what I did. I got into ministry, 
super underqualified as all of us are. Uh, and yet God used me uh, and God continued to use me and still to this day continues to use me. Uh, and there was one instance and there was actually several instances, but I'm going to share one with you this morning uh, where I learned uh, what the heart of God was really like. Uh, and, and so it starts with my uh, pseudo brother, Tyler. Uh, he, he came to live with us when I was still in high school uh, for a summer. Uh, he, his life was not super great. He was one of the kids that, you know, I wanted to share my life, my, my family with, my, the love that they had given me. I wanted to share it with him because he was raised in, in a good family up until he was about four years old. Uh, and then his parents got busted for selling drugs. Uh, and so both of them went to prison and uh, he was left bouncing around until he found, or until he and his brother ended up with his aunt uh, out in the high desert, which is a great place if you want to find drugs. Uh, and so he's uh, there with his aunt and she's somewhat sane, uh, and, uh, which was a lot in that day. Um, but he was, that's, that's what he was raised with. And uh, his grandparents happened to go to our church and, and finally got like convinced him to be able to come to camp with us one summer. Uh, and uh, as, as his grandparents were sharing with my dad, his story, my dad's like, hey, he came and asked me this question. I thought this was weird because normally my dad just does stuff. He doesn't ask, but he came and asked. And he was like, hey, how would you feel about this kid uh, living with us? And I just saw this little blonde kid running around. I was like, oh, nice. Uh, sure, why not? <laughs> uh, and I always wanted a little brother. This is cool. Uh, so he, he came and stayed with us. And it was, uh, it was a good time. And he fell in love with Jesus. Things were going really well. Uh, but we had to give him back for the school year and stuff. So um, we had to say goodbye. That was hard. But we visited every once in a while and it, he eventually uh, came back the next summer and that was kind of our pattern for the next few summers was him coming to stay with us. And then uh, we worked even harder because you know what, like we want to give this kid uh, as good of a life as we can. So uh, my parents worked to bring him into the house and become his legal guardians uh, and, and we actually took him and his brother in uh, and that was all going well. But as it turns out, uh, Boys that have been raised in a lifestyle where they can do whatever they want because nobody cares, don't take to a Baptist pastor's house very well. Uh, and so th something about rules was not like something they wanted. And here I was in there like, guys, you finally have a good household. And they're like, dude, this sucks. And I was like, oh. <laughs> you're not wrong, but at the same time, you're wrong. Um, and so... Uh, they, they lived with us for a while and it was, it was touch and go for a while there. Uh, and then eventually their mom got out of jail, started living in the halfway house and uh, they had had enough and said, you know what, we're going to go live with our mom. Uh, and so that's what they did. Uh, his older brother named Daniel, he uh, just went off and started doing heroin on the streets and didn't hear too much about from, from him or, or about him for a long time. But Tyler stayed with his mom, bounced around from house to house, apartment to apartment until they got evicted and then moved to another place. And, uh, and I didn't know where he was. I didn't have any contact information. So there's nothing I could do about it. I just had to wait and hope that he would reach out to me. And lo and behold, and this is going to date me a little bit, I get a message on MySpace uh, that what I was doing on MySpace in 2010, I don't know. But I was on MySpace and I saw a message and it was Tyler. I was like, oh, hey, dude. And that started this pattern of, of Tyler reaching out to me and saying, hey, man, here I am. This is where I'm at. Uh, can you come get me and bring me to church? And I was like, yeah, of course. And I got to find all of the shadiest parts of Southern California. Uh, and it was, a, it was a nice little tour. Um, but... 
Every, it would always start like that. And we'd, we'd, he'd be in a house or a place and I'd go there and bring him to church and, and it'd be like that for like a month or two. Things would be going well. And then all of a sudden I wouldn't hear from him again. I'd lose contact. They'd move to a different place. So I don't know where they're at. Uh, and I don't know where Tyler's at and I just got to wait. And then a month or two later, I'd get a message. Oh, Tyler, what's up? And it'd be a new place and a new time. Uh, and eventually he'd go live with his aunt, uh, who was a Christian, and, and his life was starting to pick up better there. Uh, but he was really far. Uh, we're talking like an hour and a half for me to, uh, with traffic. It took me about two hours to go get him, and then an hour and a half to two hours to go to church. And then at, after church, I'd have to drive him the, an extra hour. There was no traffic on the way back. But an hour and then an hour back. So we're talking about lots of, of time wasted in a car. And in Southern California traffic is like one of the best experiences of your life. Um, it was definitely sarcasm, but yeah. So I spent a lot of time in the car uh, and, and it wasn't just me. My, my sister and my, my dad shared the burden. My sister would actually drive. She had a, already had about a two and a half hour commute every day to work. Uh, Southern California people, it's awesome. And then she would take an extra two hours out of her way on, on Thursday nights to go pick up Tyler and bring him. And then me and my dad either one of us would, would share rides uh, and take them home afterward and spend two hours in the car that way. Uh, but it, along that way, I began to ask myself this question, and I've been asking myself this question from time to time uh, in ministry, and, and students sometimes are bold enough to straight up ask you themselves, um, why? Why are you doing this? What, why are you making this much effort? Like, what is the point of this? What are they doing for you? And this is the question that you get asked. And, and the students have asked me this before. Like, wh why do you still care about me? Like, I, I am showing you nothing. Like, I, I'm not trying to, like, give back to this relationship at all, yet you're still caring about me. Why? Uh, and as I reached out to Tyler uh, and made this, this drive over and over again, as me and my family continued to show him love, despite the fact that he kept abandoning us, I learned this important lesson that, it wasn't about them. It wasn't because of them or what they did for us. It was about who we are, who God has made us to be. We're, we are people that love. Uh, he has given us love, and so we're going to love them. And, and, and that doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter if they even want it. We're still going to love them. Do we like them all the time? No. <laughs> Believe you and me, if you're going to help out in youth ministry, you're not going to like everybody. Uh, but none of my youth students, if you're here, I like you all, yeah. Um, but we love them, and it's not about them. And, and when students would ask me, and I would give this answer, and I'd be like, guys, you've got to understand, I don't care what you do. I'm still going to love you, and it's not, there's nothing you can do about it, because that's, it's coming from me, not about you, all right? Like, you're just the subject, and, and, and I'm just going to love you, okay? And you, there's nothing you can say or do that'll stop me. That's how I felt about Tyler. And it was in those moments where God was like, hey, that's how I love you. And it was a big deal. Because I realized in that moment, oh shoot, all my life I, I, I've been trying to earn something that he's telling me right now I already have. And not only do I have, but there's nothing I can do to stop it. And it's not because of me. It's not about my ability to be loved. It's not because I'm so handsome. It's not because I'm so awesome. It's because... He just loves me. Like, that's just the way he is. Like, he just loves. He loves you the same way. And, he's, and I'm now convinced of this because I've, I've experienced it. 
I experienced it in the way that I love you students, in a way that I loved Tyler. And I, and I see how God moved through me and, and how it didn't matter what they did because it was coming out of me, not, not about him. And God made it clear to me that, you know what, Corvid, it doesn't matter what you do, I'm still gonna love you. Like, it doesn't matter. And, and you might be thinking, oh, this is a dangerous thing. So you're saying, if I walk out those doors and sin as much as I possibly want, God will still love me. And yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. God will still love you. You will do nothing to be able to stop him from doing that. That's what Paul is saying. There's nothing. God created everything. And the most powerful thing that he has is his own love. And there's nothing he has ever created that will be able to stop that. Not you, not your own sin, nothing. It's an important thing for me to learn because um, there's many times in my life where I didn't feel lovable. Well, yeah, I looked at my circumstances and I thought, hey, I've got a good life. But internally, I was like, man, I am not living up to the standard that I think I should be. I am not uh, worthy of love. And it became at those moments where God revealed this truth to me uh, that his love depended on him, not on me, that um, I realized I wasn't doubting myself. I thought I was doubting myself. I thought, hey, I'm doubting Corbin and, and his ability to be loved. But no, the truth was I was doubting God's ability to love me. And that's, that's the truth of this, this message of, of what Paul is trying to iterate is that he's convinced, not because of his circumstances, not because of what's going on inside him and his, his lovability. He's not convinced because of his health or the people around him. He's not convinced because of, of his purpose being fulfilled. He's not convinced by any of these things. He's convinced because God is God and God is love. And that's it. Like God has the power to love us no matter what. That's God's ability. That's how great he is. You are loved by him, not because of how great you are, but because of how great he is. So that's uh, what, what God was revealing to me. And here's the kicker, the best part about all this. Um, first of all, that this cycle kind of continues, right? I was first motivated because I had been shown love, so I wanted to show love. And as I showed love to other people, I, st I felt more love from God. And as I felt the, the, and I realized the love that he had for me, I showed more love to people. And this cycle continued on and on. And it wasn't so much that I was being loved more by God. No, no, no. I just began to recognize God's love more because I was experiencing it through myself as I loved other people. And it's this cycle that, that motivated me to love people even more and, and so on and so forth. So that's an awesome thing. But another thing that's, that's really cool about this is I'm not motivated by selfish motives anymore. Like it's not, I'm not motivated by my selfish ambition to be loved by God because I already have God's love. I know that. I'm convinced of that. Like Paul, I can say I'm convinced that nothing can stop God's love for me. Again, not because I'm arrogant, not because I think I'm so lovable, because I know the God that I serve loves me that much and he's never gonna stop and there's nothing I can do about it. And I'm convinced of this. And so now I'm not motivated out of, out of my ambition to be loved more by God. No, I know. I can neither increase nor decrease God's love for me. And so I'm going to love you students. And I'm going to love you and my friends and my family, not out of what I get out of it, just because he loves me. And what I found in that experience is that I'm changed. Like internally, that's what truly changes me. Is that... I know that God loves me. And so now I'm operating not out of selfishness, but out of selflessness. 
If we have a motivation that we're, we're thinking, hey, God, I want to do good things. And understand, I'm not calling anybody out. I, I've, I've been there many times and I still struggle it from time to time that, God, I'm going to do things to make you like me more and love me more. And I struggle with that. But when I did that, I was doing it for myself. I cared for people for myself. And, and God was just like, dude, I love you. You don't have to earn anything here. I already love you. You're justified. So love people because you want to love them. Love them out, out of the love that I've given you, not to get love from me. And as I've done that, as, as that has become more and more uh, my heart and the heart that God has given me, I find that that truly changes me. Like as a person, as a man, I am changed by knowing that God loves me. And so from that point on, my ministry like method has been all this, like, hey, I don't know what you're going to get out of this. I don't know what's going to happen when you walk out these doors. I don't know if your life is going to like look different because your actions are going to change, but I, this is what I want you to know. If there's anything you take away ever, if there's any message I can preach, it's this, that God loves you. It's the first thing we learn and we gloss over it and we doubt it all the time. And you're not doubting yourself. You're doubting God. So stop and believe that God loves you. Be convinced that God loves you. We're going to take communion. And uh, as we do, I'm going to run through a few next steps. Uh, If you're new here, uh, we have an open table. And that basically means is um, if you believe in Jesus, if you've already taken that step, you're welcome to take part in this. Uh, If you know that Jesus died for you, uh, please grab some communion uh, and uh, take it with us. As we do that, I'm going to share with you uh, our next steps. First, Something that uh, the first step you need to take uh, is that you have to believe that God loves you. This is a, an important step that we all have to do. And, and I'm, I'm not talking about like a feeling, like you're just going to naturally walk out here and, oh, God loves me. No, no, no. Because you're still going to look at your circumstances, but that's your heart. What I'm saying is actively believe God loves you. When doubt arises, when circumstances arise that say that, that in your mind say, no, God doesn't love me, fight against it. Say, no, no, no. God loves me. And again, not because of me, but because of him. So actively believe God loves you no matter your circumstances or what else you're going through. Take the action to believe God loves you. And your second step along this path is take God's love and get it to, give it to others. So now that you believe that, if you have come to that step of faith and say, you know what? I, I believe that God loves me. Now show that by giving it to others. Our, our, our relationship with God, again, is not meant to be just us, right? Our relationship with God is this way too. Like if we want to have a good, loving relationship with God and we want to show him our love in return, we have to show it to each other. That is imperative. And in fact, when you get to the practical side of Paul's letter to Rome, as he was sharing with the Roman churches about all of his theology, he, he wraps it up with a very practical thing of here's all the things you do. And almost all of them are about, hey, love people well, care for others, be hospitable. And it doesn't matter how they treat you, love them anyway, care for them anyway. And so our relationship with each other is, is paramount to our relationship with God. And we have to have that. And like I said, they will feed off of each other. The more you recognize God loves you, the more you'll love others. And as you love others, the more you'll realize God loves you and you'll be able to love others even more. And it's a cycle that repeats. Speaking of, our last one on the list is repeat. Do it over and over and over again. Because guess what? 
I've been a Christian for 24 years uh, and I don't get it right all the time. Paul didn't get it right all the time. He's this great example of a disciple making disciple, but yet he still struggled. So don't go into this expecting that once you get it, it's done. No, no, no. You're gonna have to keep doing this. You're gonna have to keep remembering that God loves you. You're gonna fall. You're gonna make some mistakes. That's okay. Get back up. Start loving people. Get in the game uh, and love each other. And so that's why we push here at Real Life. We push relationships so much. We push small groups and stuff because we want you to be able to have an avenue to practice this. It's not just about you. We, we do want a place for you to be able to uh, grow yourself, but we also want you to have an avenue where you can love other people too uh, and, and experience the love that God has for us through how we love each other. All right, so we're having communion right now. And this is what started my journey, what started Paul's journey and understanding that God loves us and what we can always refer back to that he sent his son down to die for us. And we know uh, that he wouldn't have done that if it wasn't for an extreme powerful amount of love. And it's because of this that like Paul said, we're not just forgiven, we're justified. So Jesus on his last night, he broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, here, take this, this represents my body. Then he passed the cup around and said, this is, this is representing my blood, which I will shed for you, take and drink. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being so amazing that you can love us despite our faults and failures, um, that no matter how unlovable we may appear to ourselves, that you still love us. And I pray, Lord, that all of us can be walking away convinced of this convinced that you love us and, and there's nothing we can do to stop it. And then out of that love, God, I pray, Lord, that we can be an unstoppable church that loves this community well out of the love that you've given us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.